or as a trader who's struggling, who can't get consistent or keeps breaking even, the chances are one to two of these legs, they're either avoiding or they're not putting enough effort into. Mm. So each leg is a set of skills that need to be learned and applied and then pieced together. And the reason why people can get into trading and can make money and then blow their account is because if you think about a table with four legs, that table can balance there without one leg but you apply any pressure onto that table, a losing run, losing money, over leveraging, as soon as pressure is applied to the table without the four legs, the table tips over. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe and you are listening to The Cicado Show with Dr. Rowe and Harms. Cicado means to seek turning points. And on this show where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today, the mission is to provide you with what you need in order to create a turning point in your life now. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to create these shows is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope our genuine, sincere hope that by the end of each of these episodes, you will have gained at least one insight which you can take away and apply directly into your life. Practical tools, voices that come from both generations, younger generation with tips and tools, older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience. So you can help unlock your true potential to give you the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level to give you a chance to impact both your life and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. We welcome you to The Cicado Show. Before we jump into the show, let me just tell you a little bit about becoming a Cicado supporter now. If you love what we do on the show, have gained transformational insights and positive outcomes or any small shifts which have allowed you to create turning points in your life, then please head to cicado.com and become a supporter of the show now. By supporting the show, we can continue to expand by getting you better quality production, spending more time deep diving important topics and creating more exclusive supporter perks as well as getting great guests on. And by the way, as a thank you for becoming a supporter and depending on which supporter tier you select at cicado.com, these perks range from my weekly recipe for success emails through to audios and video courses from my 23 steps to success, which includes online modules on how to find your life balance, gaining confidence, improving your time management, making successful career transitions, understanding financial independence, creating a life purpose, understanding and how to manage your money, becoming a money master, understanding negotiation techniques, learning to communicate more effectively and so much more. So don't delay. It takes less than two minutes and you can become a Cicado supporter, helping to expand the show and get special perks as a thank you. Become a supporter now at Cicado.com. Let's get back to the show. Hello, it's Harms here and welcome to another episode of the Cicado show. And today we are talking part two trading. Now, if you tuned in in part one, you would have met Alistair Crooks, who is an expert trader. And the reason we wanted to bring this to the forefront was out there at the moment, one of the most significant ways to create a turning point in your life 
is to transform your wealth, your finances, and your money situation. And one of the best ways to do that, a proven, tried, and tested way to do that is trading. And what we was able to do in part one was learn more about Ali Crooks himself and his journey from where he started to becoming a expert trader, which he is now. And he's going to just share more about that as we get into the start of this podcast. So I want to hand over to you because I want to dive straight into this because people on episode one would have been eager to get into more nitty gritty trading. Mm. And this is great because part one was almost like a qualification. Really discover what is it around the lifestyle of a trader? How does somebody like Ali operate? How can you get involved in that world? And if that really resonated with you, then part two is going to be a treat. Yeah, so over to you, yeah. Thanks, Harms. Thank you, everyone, for joining and signing up today, and joining us on the podcast and for supporting us. Um, I don't need to do much of an introduction here. If you've listened to part one already, you'll know that I've known Ali for many, many years. We're very good friends as well. Um, but that said, Al, what I'm conscious of is that somebody might have tuned in for the first time into Cicado, mm. and all of a sudden they're listening to this as their very first week on the Cicado show, haven't heard the previous interview with you. So can we just go back very quickly, remind everybody what you do and a little bit of your history uh, and, and, and what you do today in terms of the world of trading, into, not just from an educational perspective, because we want to cover that, but also just overall, right through to the fund, et cetera. Give us kind of a, a praise for the new listeners today. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for having me back. It's good to be back. I'll tr- do my best to try and do it and get it over in, a, in a, a short period of time. I've been tr- I've been trading about twenty years. Yeah. Um, as I think I said in the last podcast, I didn't I didn't have a grand plan to um, to trade. A friend of mine said very often we trip up, stumble, and fall into what it is we want to do. All I wanted to do when I was a lot younger was be wealthy. But I actually wanted to be a PE teacher and PE teachers back then weren't, and probably not now, very wealthy. So I've I've always had this pull to want to do something meaningful and helpful, but always wanted to have wealth and primarily choice. So mm. I started out as a bit of an entrepreneur. I had a very successful initial business. My second business wasn't successful. And cutting a very, very long story short, I got into trading simply because my second business was going to the wall. And my business partner at the time smartly wanted to be out of that scenario I wanted to keep going and I sort of pledged to myself that I would never have a scenario where I my future was dependent on somebody else and by chance Mm. I was in an investment club at the time and I'd learned a little bit about trading and trading back then was very different it was much more US orientated if you wanted to be what we call a retail trader so for me it was something that I was almost drawn to because of the pain of something else I'd experienced um, and I thought to myself, like some of the guys that I coach these days, that if I can just get to a point where I can pay my bills and I can sit at home and I haven't got a boss and I'm not responsible for all these things, a bit like the old, you know, the old bit you used to get at the corny seminars where people would, how many of you want to quit your job and how many of you want to do all this? I was, I was that guy without having to go at the seminar. I wanted mm-hmm. to quit my job. And if I could just get to a point where I could pay my bills, then my life would shift. So it wasn't really trading. I wasn't drawn to trading by the excitement of it. I wasn't a gambler. I didn't have a passion for it. I kind of saw it as a way out. But then after a while, I very much, I suppose most of the things I do as a, I call myself a C grade student with kind of like an, an A grade attitude. I do try and put 110% into everything I do. So for me, I saw it as a, I saw it as a little bit of a way out or I saw it as a way to at least at least expand my opportunities and my choice. And back then, it was a very different game, uh, retail trading. As I've said, it wasn't it wasn't 
18 year old kids doing it. There wasn't um, all this stuff mm -hmm. on Instagram. So it was books or it was flights to Las Vegas. So essentially that's what, that's what I did. But yeah. for me, it was, it was about getting that freedom. It wasn't about Ferraris. It wasn't about mansions. It wasn't about any of that, that of course, that's what I would have loved to have got to at the time. Mm. And things are very different now. And I've got a lot more choice and I can choose what car I have and all the kind of quote unquote trappings of success. But back then it was actually more about the things that I value the most now, which is freedom, choice. I can live where I want. So I got into it for that reason. And then it was after a while that I started to get hooked because to be a successful trader, you've got to, you've got to treat it like a professional athlete. I think if there was one thing and we can loop back to this later that, new traders should look at is very often it's easy to make money. It's easy to make money over the short term. So somebody can, um, oh, it's, it's the hardest way to make easy money was one of my first mentors said to me. And that's always stuck with me. Trading is the hardest way to make easy money. Mm. And really what that's meaning is so much of it is what goes on in your head. So for me, I very quickly realized after losing money very quickly that I needed to treat it like to treat it like I was a professional sports person. And as a failed professional sports person, somebody who always wanted to be, that's what always wanted to do. Um, I could relate to the mindset of it. And that's what got me into it was that was the mental challenge and the the ability alongside to have something that didn't require me to get a job. Because even at sort of 22, I was pretty much unemployable because I'd come straight out of university. And as the guys listened to the previous podcast, I thought I wanted to get into corporate marketing. And when I actually got a placement on my degree, I realized that that just wasn't me. Mm. So this was this was very much, as I said, a way out and a way to create freedom. It wasn't some master plan, um, you know, right, I'm going to be a trader. And then for me, I just found it, I found it very liberating because it gave me, it gave me that choice. It gave me the challenge. And very quickly, I realized that a lot of what was being sold out there at the time, especially by the Americans, was not how was not how it worked. And yes, it's no, you don't have to be a mathematician. You don't have to be an, you know, an Einstein to be a retail trader, but it is mentally taxing. And I think that's a very important point. There's no point sitting here telling your listeners it's going to be an easy journey. It can be right. a very rewarding journey, very challenging journey, and you can make easy money as in you I can make a month's money in two days I can make three months money in a week at some weeks that's not going to happen so they're the weeks that you become a trader it's not the weeks you make money it's the weeks you're losing money so I'm, I'm, I'm moving around a little bit but essentially that was that's what got me into it and then teaching trading came a lot later so essentially I was in a position where I was very consistent with my trading. That doesn't mean I made money every day or every week, but I was consistently doing the right things and consistently making money. And at the time I was a little bit bored because this wasn't, as I said, this wasn't the thing that I dreamt of. I kind of fell into it. And I think it's important for your listeners to realize that trading isn't a people person's, people person's pursuit. You know, you're, you're essentially on your own, you're at home. Mm. So for me, I, there was actually quite a big void once I got good at trading because the excitement got less because I was getting better at it. So the better you get at trading, the less exciting it is. I always see that with my students. The more excited they are, the more they've, the more they've got to learn. Mm. So for me, being a driver expressive, you know about personality styles, and I'm sure we'll touch on that in a bit, there was an element of my life from my kind of vocation that was missing. And again, I didn't sit there and go, ah, oh, do you know what I need to do? I need to go and teach this because that will give me the right. film. It was purely by chance. So, And that was probably around 207 from memory. Two, actually earlier, 205 actually. 205, yeah. 205. So you jumped into teaching. 
if we fast forward now, having taught thousands, if I think about it over the years, take us to the last few years, because there have been some big shifts in what you've been doing, hasn't it, the last three, yeah. four, five years? Yeah, I would say, obviously, with COVID, obviously, COVID coming, big stage stuff, um, and any kind of face-to-face training stopped. And that, again, yeah. wasn't something that was something that I strategically planned. I just got various different opportunities after coming and learning from you, got various different opportunities to speak on quote unquote on stage and do mm. face-to-face teachings, which I love. All, all over like, the world. I mean, I remember you flying off to different places. Yeah. Yeah. And I got the chance to share a stage with Robert Kiyosaki and yeah. got to spend time with him, which was hugely insightful. And mm. um, not that I agree with everything that he says, but my God, that guy operates at a level that it just, mm. just, just blows your mind. Um, so, and yeah, and I got to see, and I also got to see the the bad side of the industry from the kind of the, the, the financial trading, property investing, online marketing, all of that. So I've, I've seen both sides of it and I get, I get thrown in on Instagram in the same, in the same boat as these guys. Mm. So for me, one of the things that I did a couple of years ago, and I prioritized this prior to COVID was to really push an online model that was not just watching and learning stuff online because a lot of people were coming to me going, I've just spent the last six months trawling through YouTube and I'm no further on. I'm no Mm. better off. I've lost more money. So I was like, how can I create something that is a combination of knowledge, proven strategies and and an actual support service that gives you the support you need? Because I think the challenge is a lot of people are drawn to trading from the intellectual pursuit element. And those people tend to, and I'm generalizing a little bit, but they tend to be the people that like acquiring knowledge for knowledge's sake. Mm. And I always say trading is not an intellectual or knowledge pursuit. It's a performance pursuit. That doesn't mean you can do it. You can't do it. You have to have knowledge and you have to have a certain level of intellect to be able to do it. But that's not the driving factor. The driving factor is your ability to perform one under pressure and two in varying conditions. For those of you listening, one of the things we're going to jump into in a moment is literally the system that uh, Ali follows and teaches. So I'm excited about that because the fact that you've taken all this and disseminated it down into what I think is such a powerful system, someone watching and listening to this at the end is going to go, okay, what do I do next with this? So I'm glad that you've kind of talked about the melee of information. So much freaking information out there. I think people have become overwhelmed with the free stuff, actually frankly. The biggest shock people have, I think, and this is something I try and do. The, uh, my, my, my daughter says keeping it real. I don't know what the cool kids say anymore, but uh, she's. Uh, it's very much about, look, I think most people are a little bit shocked what I don't know, especially the guys that have been in the game for three or four years and are not making money. They seem to think that I'm going to be this fountain of knowledge of all things trading all things the market all things stocks people say to me oh what do you think is going to happen to apple or what do you think the earnings announcement is going to be on apple in the next next quarter I'm like, i don't give a shit it's not it's not it's not part of my system and that and that shocks a large group within the trading community because they they think they expect me to be like jim kramer on cnbc and i've got an opinion on everything and what you'll actually find is a lot of traders that are very consistent, especially in the retail game. I'm not talking about fund managers and um, uh, hedge fund managers and people in that game, but in the retail game, they're very, very, um, they're very, very systematic in their approach. And it's actually about it's actually about what information you filter out as much as what information you filter in, because the tendency is to overconsume information, and especially with what's going on at the moment in Ukraine. Even I found myself 
tapping into the news, even without realizing it, just subconsciously, just paying a little bit more attention to the news mm. because the market conditions have changed ever so yeah. slightly. So I think that's, I think the first thing I would say, if there's anybody new listening, I think the f- key thing is you don't have to know everything. You just have to have a proven system that you can apply and you have the ability and the awareness to be a little bit flexible with that system because market conditions will change. Nothing's ever the same. And if you're listening to somebody as this is somebody who's tried trading and failed or somebody that has been doing it a long while and still can't get the results, invariably you're either too gung-ho and you simply just want to trade too much Mm. or you're somebody that is supplementing the lack or fear of loss with too much information. So I see this all the time. So in summary, the last two years have been about really distilling what it is I do over and over again. You'll know this, Ro, when you're, as, as someone who teaches, you're, you're constantly trying to reevaluate your system and go, how can I make it better? How can I, how can I help more people? How can I get it, make it more simple, more effective? Mm. And, and this is something that I've really honed in. And, I've, and about two years ago, myself and one of my ex-students who, who does some teaching for me, we sat down in uh, Milton Keynes of all places, and we sat down and we went through and said, how can we create a system and a program that would allow traders that have never traded before to essentially see what it's actually all about? And then we also went, but how could that, how could that training or that program work for the guys who are what we call sitting around break even? They make money, lose money, make money, lose money. Right. So that was what I sat down and did. So that was one thing. And then personally for me, it was also to set up my own fund. So a couple of years ago, a, a couple of guys that I know in the city, very well respected, decided they wanted to put together as asset managers, a fund that was essentially for retail traders. So rather than you investing into say BlackRock, um, a big hedge fund or, or a big, you know, someone like Fidelity, you could choose to invest into a retail trader. Now, obviously a retail trader will have a different approach their results will work differently but it would give you as the guy on the street the chance to invest into something like me now what was interesting is they approached a lot of educators and a lot of educators weren't that keen to do it which <laughs> interesting a lot so anyway there's me and i think about four other four other guys that do that i think three of us three of us are in profit one isn't so for me that was not something i had to do yes there's a financial incentive for me to do it um i'm not going to do it for i'm not going to do it for nothing but it was more about really just proving that there are a few yeah. few trainers out there in the world where a lot of people think you know those who those who can um do those who can't teach that actually do both mm-hmm. and i think so actually you- and it answers a question which i think is is an important approach say if you're a consumer and you want to go and learn and you're deciding who do i you know invest my time my resources with to go and learn how to trade I think it's a really important question to be slightly skeptical in the sense that ask that question, is this person who's teaching this a trader? Do they actually trade? And I think what you've done there is highlight exactly what you do, which is you trade and teaching is is a supplement to that, is, is a business in itself. But first and foremost, you are a trader. Is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. I didn't, as I said, I didn't, I didn't come into this to learn to teach people how to trade. But also, Harms, I think it's really important from the other side of it is to say, but my students pay my rent, for want of a better mm. expression. They pay my bills. And the reason they do that is every single penny that I make from trading, I reinvest into my trading pot. Mm. 
Mm. And all that means is that I'm going to hit a certain goal that I've got when I'm 50 way quicker than if I had to take the money out. So I also think it's really important because a lot of these guys who are are, are pitching the lifestyle, the only reason they have that lifestyle is because they've got a thousand people paying them 50 quid a month. Right, right. So I'm very upfront. I'm like, look, here's my results. I can't put results up. I can't put statements up that aren't real because Mm. that's part of the agreement with being unregulated. All my fund figures are regulated. So I'm sitting there saying, look, here's my performance. Here's how much I make from trading. Also, I make money from teaching people. Mm. And guess what? The money I make from trading, I reinvest and reinvest. So when people say, do you have a job? I'm like, yeah, I have a job. I coach people. I'm Mm. so tired of this slapping down of jobs. There's nothing wrong with jobs. Mm. And as a trader, Having a job is one of the best vehicles you can have because trading is a time efficient income and it allows you to build wealth alongside your job. If you don't like your job, fine. You can use it as a vehicle eventually to get out of your job or if your finances allow you, it's something you can do straight away. And I think this this is what I've really wanted to push is this get away from these guys who are 20 year old pushing lifestyle and their lifestyle is not based on their trading performance, mm-hmm. but also not hide away from the fact that coaches and trainers make money from coaching and training people. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it's the same thing when we teach on property. If I, I get people come through to say, do I have to give up my, my job to build the portfolio? Do I, in your case, do I have to give up my job to trade the market? And I can say, as you can say, well, I've got a business where basically I'm still giving, I'm still putting time in and getting paid for that time as a speaker, you as a trainer and a coach. So it just shows that you can do both. Mm. So ironically, by doing it, you're showing people that are coming through that it is doable to have something else you're doing and trade the stock market. Absolutely. Or currency markets or whatever it's issues to trade. Um, Okay. So can we jump then to the obvious question, which is burning on my mind, is what what is the system that you trade with yourself? And these four pillars that I've heard you refer to, can we start to delve into that? Because I'm sure there's people itching who are brand... And keep, so keep four things in mind, Al. We're going to have people in my age group and your age group, you know, 45 and above, 50 and yeah. above. And then there's going to be the youngsters that are sort of 20, 25, 30, mm-hmm. 35, like Harminder's age. And then we're also going to have married to that brand new people, and also people that are maybe break even or even losing in trading. So we've got quite a mix of people listening at the moment. That's great. And I think what what's, what's really important is, um, certainly for me as a trader, I've had different aspirations the older I've got. So back when I was 25, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I was fortunate the interest rates were a lot higher. There was more liquidity in the currency markets. I yeah. enjoyed day trading. So I was I wanted the hustle for want of a better word. Whereas yeah. now I the thought of day trading every day doesn't appeal because then yeah. that would be another job on top of the job I've got coaching people. So yeah. for me, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to and I think it's important for all your listeners, it doesn't it, there isn't an age restriction saying, Oh, you, if you're if you're twenty five, you're better suited to day trading, or it doesn't have to be the same. So can the I, system I've sorry, go on. Can I validate that as well? Ch- ch- so to give everybody some context, I used to trade pretty consistently for years. I taught it. Alistair and I met cross paths because I'd been teaching that being that sort of eight, nine, 10 years older than Ali, I'd been teaching it for a while. And he and I crossed paths because he wanted to come into the arena and teach it. I then stepped down from trading when I had my kids. And here I'm at 56. And just to show you who do I go to, to go, right, I want to get back in. I go back to Ali, who I met when I was teaching. He then came up and now he's teaching and he's going to be somebody that's going to coach and mentor me moving forward. And I'm, I'm getting towards 60. So there is no like, oh shit, you can't trade after a certain age. And I'm 
proof that you can step back in and it also shows you who I'd go to. So you're listening to, in my mind, the best out there who can teach people from all age groups. Sorry, Al, I just had to do a well, plug. No, no, I I'm plugging that. you there. I'm plugging <laughs> well, you. Well, no, I, it's very kind of you to say that. Um, I was thinking, whenever, when, when, when people talk about age, I always think of one of our students, Kevin. He was 79. and Fantastic. He, was a, he day traded the US market. So he used to day trade in the afternoon. Um, so he used to get up, he said, I get up, um, I enjoy, I enjoy my pension in the morning. So I go and do what I want in the morning, but I top it up in the afternoon. And I thought that's a lovely, a lovely, Fantastic. lovely sentiment. And Kevin, uh, on the other extreme, what's one of the youngest you've had who... Harminder's itching to get in yeah, there. Yeah, it's fascinating the to see the two ends of the spectrum. And then, and at least the yeah, I think it might be no. a bit younger than you, Harms. I'm hoping so. Yeah, 16. So, yeah. 16 the youngest. Um, they couldn't age. have an account, but I said, well, you can just learn for two years. And, mm. you, you know, your mum can open a demo account for you. I imagine running a demo for two years and getting consistent. Oh, wow. That'd be amazing. Yeah. He's, he, and, he, and he said, um, what do you think? Should I go to uni? I said, if you carry on at this rate, you'll be able to buy it. So I said, again, it's choices. I said, you, you'll be able to carry on um, doing what you're doing. So I think before I get into the system, it's important to understand that the system that I'm going to talk about is what I would call the, if you imagine it like a pyramid, it would be the, it would be the foundations. It would be the base. So this system applies to a day trader who might be in front of their screens eight hours a day. They might be 25 hustling because that's what they want to do. Or it might, it would apply to somebody in their 50s who has got a more relaxed approach, who's otherwise known as a swing trader. They're trading in and around their job because the, the pillars, hence the name, um, underpin everything you do. So it's almost like if these, if these ingredients, if you think of them as ingredients, weren't in a recipe, then the recipe wouldn't work regardless of what else you did, no matter what quality the saucepan was, no matter what quality the... Okay. So, so this this uh, this isn't something that is only for swing traders or only for day traders. So the, I call them four pillars, but they're like they're like four legs of a table. So as a new trader, the having the understanding that each of these four pillars has to be in place for them to be successful, or as a trader who's struggling, who can't get consistent or keeps break, breaking even, the chances are one to two of these legs, they're either avoiding or they're not putting enough effort into. Mm. So each leg is a set of skills that need to be learned and applied and then pieced together. And the reason why people can get into trading and can make money and then blow their account is because if you think about a table with four legs, that table can balance there without one leg but you apply any pressure onto that table, a losing run, losing money, over leveraging, as soon as pressure is applied to the table without the four legs, the table tips over. And this yeah. is why, and then what tends to happen is traders who've got experience will not understand the four pillars, will not have a feedback mechanism in those four pillars to know which one's wrong. Yeah. So they'll jump to another educator, they'll jump back on YouTube, they'll change their approach, which for some might be the right thing, but for some they just needed to carry on trading or manage their risk more effectively so i think for your listeners it's important to understand that each of these each thing of these like legs on a table so yes you might be able to get away with mastering three for six months or a year but at some point if you haven't got all three in place it's it, mm. the thing's going to crash yeah. and, and that actually loops back to what you said uh, you know in the last 10-15 minutes which is you know a true trader shows up not when they're winning but when they're losing and under pressure uh, so that ties nicely back into what you said there with with a with this kind of table and anal analogy. I think I think the overriding scenario for 
uh, new traders is never underestimate the concept of recency bias. This is something that as somebody who's coached people one-on-one, I, I mean, I've done every type of, I've, I've coached everybody in every arena. I'm not just a guy that's stood at the front of the stage and got people to run to the back and sign up. I've, I've done big stage stuff. I've done one-on-one. I'm doing 15 hours of live coaching and support a week. I run courses, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I see this. And the one thing, if someone said, is there one thing that as a new trader you need to be aware of, is never underestimate how much our mind is geared to focus on what has happened more recently. Mm. And as a trader who's got more experience, I would say you need to examine that. So this, this, whole, this whole pillar system is designed to help that. Because what usually happens is traders will react to the result of what's happened more recently. Three losing yeah. trades on the trot, they question what they're doing. Right. Three winning trades, they become overconfident. So as you were saying there, Harms, it's it's not mm. it is also it is about when you're losing, but it's also about what do you do when you're winning? Mm. Because suddenly when a trade is winning, they get more confident. That you know, and it's all and it's this has all been scientifically proven. A guy actually went went to town on this, a guy called John Coates, and identified how the joke is never give your money to a fund manager that's giving you ten years that's got ten years of decent track record because they're over cocky, their testosterone levels are too high, and they're about to have they're about to lose money. Now it's said a little bit tongue in cheek, but it implies that they've actually proved that traders who perform well, mm. their toler- their levels of testosterone go up and their tolerance for risk often gets too high. So it's both performing when you're losing under pressure, right. but also performing when you're winning. So so the, so the legs essentially make up this kind of recipe or this table, whatever you want to, however you want to think of it in your mind. Yeah. And leg number one is what, what I call technical, well, it's, it's technical analysis and what we call strategy recognition. Right. So to summarize that into a short sentence, it is your ability to read the direction of the market and the system you use to do that and your ability to read an entry into that market. So when people say to me, well, what do you, are you a currency trader? Are you an indices trader, a stocks trader? Mm. I tend to say I'm a directional trader. So there are some markets I will favor over others, but it's more about can I have a system that will accurately predict the direction of various markets on a consistent basis. Now, the trouble with the right. word consistent is most people are expecting consistent to be 90% of the time. So I would say on average, I'm right between 50 and 60% of the time. Yeah. So even though I'm talking about a system, accurately and consistently is a system that works 60% of the time. It's not a system that works 90% of the time. So as a new trader, an experienced trader, that's that's just something you have to you have to get over. You'll hear you'll hear sound bites about trading saying you've got to get used to being wrong and no traders right 90% of the time. Well, well, that's fine hearing that on a or seeing it as a quote on Instagram, but actually you need a system that allows you to be okay with being wrong 40% of the time. Right. So the reason I teach that system, and I say you've got to get so confident in analyzing a chart, not so you're confident that you'll be right every time, but you're confident you're following a system. Because what a lot of traders will do is they'll they'll guess right and then they'll guess wrong, so they'll change what they do. Right. If that makes sense. So and just just to jump in for anyone that's yes. brand new to this, you might hear the word or well, the numbers fifty to sixty. Think fuck that. 
how on earth are you going to make money then? But that's because you haven't seen the whole picture. Exactly. Because one of the, and, and I know Ali's going to probably head towards this, is just be mindful, everybody, that if you're winning 50 or 60 at the time, but the way, the amount that you win on the times that you win is enough as a ratio to the, the risk. That's how you can win. So you'll hear that in the picture. So don't start thinking, shit, that's not a lot. It's all in context to the full table and exactly. all the legs. I usually, yeah. when I'm speaking to property investors, I'm like, how many how many offers did you put out to find right, exactly. one property? There you go. There you now, go. Did, what did those offers cost you? They didn't cost you any yeah. money, yeah. but they cost you time. They cost you energy. So there was mm. a cost there. But the property, the one property you get out of a hundred offers is the one right. that makes you a hundred grand. Yeah. So that's that's what I call extreme risk to reward. Yeah. The risk is the time and energy you put into each offer. Yeah. The reward is the one property that you eventually are the, is the one that you right. that you get from all of those offers. So each one of those trades comes at a cost. It comes at a financial cost, but when the trades win, they come at a greater greater mm. return. And yeah. that's why having a system to your analysis is so important. Because if you're expecting to be right 90% of the time Mm. and your system is flaky, then you're not going to be right 90% of the time. So you're constantly going to be changing your system or going onto Mm. YouTube for for looking for the next indicator, (laughs) the next strategy, the next widget. So... Having I bet that. there's a few people that are recognizing that pattern. I, I think the alarm bell there, you know, if you're being self-aware here as a listener, I think that's really important because without the system and being able to default to a system, we're going to fall into the trap of what Ali you just described as a recency bias or another bias that turns up or chasing the, the shiny coin, the testosterone. Mm. And, and the, yeah, if you win three trades in a row, you're suddenly going to go, you know, if you're in the poker terms, okay, we're going all in. Yes. Um, and just just a note, actually, on the testosterone, I'm just genuinely curious, not necessarily from a male-female gender perspective, but from a male-female energy perspective, before we move on to step, or, you know, uh, pillar number two, what have you found in terms of male versus female energy when it comes to trading, trading success, um, managing somebody's testosterone, I guess, yeah. uh, uh, because yeah, you train right. thousands of people, you come into interaction with them, so they're coming to you with their challenges constantly. You know, mm-hmm. whether they're trading successfully, not successfully, they need a bit of support, feedback, et cetera. What, what have you found in that male-female dynamic? Very interesting. Um, the, the, the science says that the, 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 the testosterone goes up regardless of gender. However, this is really interesting. Men tend to attach more significance to their mm-hmm. results than women do. So, for instance, it, mm-hmm. uh, if, a, if a woman has five winning trades, it's not that she didn't think she was responsible, but she tends to take a little less personal ego over it whereas if the right. guys had three five trades and i am generalizing a little bit the yeah. guy tends to tends to feel a little bit more bolstered by that it's mm. a it's a really it's a really interesting dynamic guys will tend to i use a pendulum as an example from a mindset point of view harms and they will tend to be actually at the extremes more so and i think it's because men are men feel more comfortable in control mm-hmm. i think that's lessened in the 20 years i've been doing it i actually think that's lessened because mm-hmm. you're seeing a lot more women in similar roles you know the, the whole gender side of things has changed um but what you actually find is men m- the masculine energy whether it's men or women tends to like to be in control and regardless of how good your system is or how dialed in you've got these four pillars I would be lying if I said, well, just because you've got these dialed in, you're going to suddenly feel in control of every trade. The markets change. So that perception of control, it's a little bit like business owners. So business owners tend to be a little bit more 
male or female, masculine in their way of doing things. And most business owners think they're going to make good traders because they are. They say that they've got an appetite for risk. Yeah. But what they also forget is the other side of the coin, which is they are usually control freaks. Hmm. So being in the market, as soon as that trade is played, yeah. you don't have any control no, over right. the outcome. You can't. The market, bring it up. The market's always right. <laughs> you can't. You can't go and you can't call a meeting and sort your team out and solve the problem and make yeah. shit happen. Once yeah. the trade's placed, you're so control fleet, control fleets, control freaks or people yeah. who really value control, which I think is slightly more a masculine trait is, is the scenario where you get that whole, but what do I do now? I'm like, you do nothing. There's nothing else to do. So there's, there's, well, which we talk about when we get to pillar four mindset, there's a spiritual element to trading, which I never thought about when I first started out. Mm. There's a sort of spiritual balanced element to how you operate. And I guess you could argue, I mean, I wrote down when you were speaking, uh, you know, age versus trading, that one could argue, well, surely as somebody gets older, they get wiser. And with that wisdom comes a more spiritual centered part to them. But actually, as you get older, if you've had failure in the past or you've had anything that's created a significant emotional block around money, oddly enough, that could work against you and it becomes even more magnified in your trading, whereas a youngster coming in may not have that baggage. Would that be a fair argument? That would be a very fair argument. And I think the other thing to bear in mind as well is uh, don't underestimate the conditioning. So like you said, if you've had various episodes where you've lost money, um, people don't logically go, well, I lost money in property. It's going to be different with trading or I lost money doing online marketing. Trading is going to be different because I'm learning Ali's habits management system. It's logic versus emotion. So, yeah. yeah. And also sometimes people come into it later in life with more desperation because the time is running out. So six months to learn something is, is, is almost too long or, uh, Sometimes you see with slightly older people is they're a little bit, they're a little bit less gun ho, which is great, a little bit more mm. balanced. Mm. Um, but, but the conditioning is there. Whereas the, the younger guys and girls tend to have a little bit more hustle about them. They want to, they want to move quick, mm. but they can end up being a little bit too greedy. So right. some, sometimes I've got the, it's a slight overgeneralization, but a lot of the time with the younger guys and girls, I've got the reins on them, pulling them back a little bit. And sometimes with the uh, with the with the people in their later ages, you're giving them a little bit more of a kick. And also, the younger guys and girls are just more got more affinity with technology. It doesn't it doesn't all seem very very different. So yeah. it, it, there is there are these there are these um, these trends. But um, I'm always pleasantly surprised as a as a trainer. I had a, a lady who she was in her fifties. She was an interior designer. She was, quote unquote, out there in her thinking. Mm. She was very, very spiritual. And if you looked at it on paper, you'd go, no chance, not a chance. This is just isn't for you. But I never, ever, ever write anyone off, despite what I might initially think or what I might Mm. judge, because we all judge and we can't help it. And I was like, oh, do I really think she's going to be able to do this? Now, it took her longer because it was completely alien to what she did, but she did it. Because she wanted it bad enough, Fantastic. and that I think was that that was for me. So I guess my draw, drawing right, on your metaphor for the table, just quickly, is, is you can come to the table at any age, and as yes. long as that table's stable, i.e., the four pillars are there, and you're comfortable with that, and you've got those in place, now you lay your plate out, and you can start to eat from it, and actually it comes back down to these four legs. Yes, and, and in addition to that, we've also got the gender side, which is. You know, anybody listening to this should now feel comfortable that they're in good hands. One, because Ali's worked with so many different dynamics, mm. ages, genders, mm-hmm. uh, backgrounds, conditioning. 
But you know, one one of my takeaways is uh, for the men listening to this, you're about to get a reality check, an ego reality check. And for the for the ladies, it actually because one of the things, and I can talk about this personally, which is, you know, my wife is now exploring trading, and one of the early conversations we had was, isn't isn't that like a like a guy thing? Like, isn't trading a guy thing? Mm-hmm. And now I'm listening to Ali, and I'm thinking actually she's going to be potentially a fantastic trader mm. because of everything Ali's just described uh, in her nature. So it's a real fantastic realization. And, and the fact that anybody listening, if you're, if you're now interested in trading or pursuing it and want to go onwards, is certainly a case of you're in good hands because mm. of the experience Ali has had with others. And I would add, Al, I think you'll agree with this. You know, a woman, for example, going into an estate agent or onto a building site with a whole bunch of burly blokes, whatever, there might be a feeling of anxiety. I know this because I've taught thousands of ladies over the years that have that sense of anxiety. But actually, trading is a screen, it's charts, it's impersonal. It really comes down to those four pillars you keep talking about and just having an aptitude to really want to succeed. You don't have that that angst of possibly having to deal with people on a day-to-day basis where there is this crossover of personalities, gender and the stress, et cetera. It's a very it's a very different environment, isn't it? Yeah. And the market doesn't say, well, well, who did you know? Who did you know at school? Right. What school did you go to? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doesn't ask Education, you any background, doesn't, color, creed, yeah. Doesn't so bias. And yeah. I and I have that when I when when we do meetups and I'll be like, because these people that I've taught online, they're just they're in, you know, I get to know them very very intimately but it's only when i meet them i'm like wow it, you know you you see these people that you've worked with online but that that is great because i'm 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 helping and coaching and judging them based on their performance right. their strengths their weaknesses yeah. i've got no biases they've got no biases it's yeah. just whether they like the sound of my voice or not for yeah. like 15 <laughs> hours a week but i think it's i think that's a hugely important point because mm. in a way that's what drew me to it it was out mm. of pain but it drew me to it because i was like finally i can do something where Nobody else is involved. Nothing else matters mm. other than with, whether I achieve it. It's a mm. bit like individual sports. So like athletics, you know, yes, you might not win gold, but you know, at the end of the day, whether or not you did everything you could in your training, yeah. everything you could on the day to deliver your best performance. And um, I think, you know, I, what I love about your situation, Ali, is that you are at an age where you've been that youngster coming through. You've been somebody in their 30s, now into their 40s. So you're, you've gone through the biological change and have experienced it. Unlike, as you said, I mean, I see it all the time, these Instagram people that are like late teens and they've had maybe one or two good trades, but they're blowing it up to sound disproportionately. Like yeah. they, they, haven't, mean, they haven't lived through recessions and see what happens when a market goes volatile and how do you how do you keep those table legs solid during that period? Yeah. And Absolutely. I think they, yeah, they, I think that and, and having an element of self-awareness is huge. Mm. We'll get to that in a minute when we talk about mindset, but also having the openness to understand that even somebody who's in their mid forties to somebody who's maybe in their mid fifties mm. um, has, has has got enough. I've got enough time. I've got enough hours under my belt. You know, mm. the best part of fifteen thousand hours of, and this is important. Not just coaching people, like talking to them in a static situation, but in front of the market about trade. a trade they're in, about yeah. a trade I'm in, about mm. a mistake I've made. And I'm always very open that it's it's this isn't a this is like sport. It's not a perfectionist's game. And I think that's another important thing. Is and we'll, mm. we'll talk about it when we get to mindset. So absolutely, yeah, so so it's, it's a good time to now uh, yeah pivot to. Pillar number two. Pillar number two. Pillar number two, um, we call data. Now, data. this is probably the the most underrated pillar. It's not that one pillar is better than the other. And it's the pillar that most 
a, a large percentage of traders, you you can see a trader's personality style in how they approach data. Mm. So, for example, I've worked with people that are so analytical in their approach that all they can consume themselves about is our spreadsheet. I've even had one guy, I remember he came for a mentoring session with me and he'd, he'd made his own spreadsheet. <laughs> it's like ours wasn't good <laughs> enough. So the, the, the people, you know, the real analytical people think, oh, this is great. And, the, and it appeals to them because data is data is key. And then on the other side, somebody like me, and the only reason I became a successful trader is because I owned the analytical side of me that I was disowning. I, I'm not I'm not naturally an analytical person. Even now, I'll get a week behind on keeping my trades up to date on my spreadsheet. It's it's the I'm the guy that will um, wants to be in the market. I'll fill out my spreadsheet later. So data analysis is your ability to test and track the trades you place, your ability to then take that data and interpret it, and thirdly, then any changes you make. So what you tend to see is the extreme is the guys that don't bother collecting any data. So they don't know the performance of their trades. They're just looking at whether they've made money or not. So they've got nothing to interpret and then they can't make any strategic changes. On the other side of the coin, you've got the guys that collect more data than they need. They obsess about it almost to the point where they, they, they're more focused on that than their trades. And then they're making too many changes because they're trying to over-optimize what's in front of them. Right. So people tend to be the extreme. So I tend to see more of people's personalities coming out in how they approach the data side of their trading. And what's interesting is a couple of clients recently, and I've heard this message over and over again, but it was literally last week they said it. They said, out of all the areas in trading that get talked about the most, this is one of the ones that gets talked about the most, but gets taught the least, is everybody, all the gurus are saying, yes, you must record your trades, you must journal. Mm, true. But nobody's actually really showing them how to do it. And this is born out of 15,000 plus hours in a trading room where it, I'm not just sitting there. I was not even when I was day trading, I wasn't just sitting in there calling trades. I was looking at a trader's quarterly performance, monthly or even weekly performance mm -hmm. and looking through their trades and just asking simple questions that you would want to know if you had 10 million in a fund. I always say to traders, log just to give you a context, uh, I was just about to jump in a question, just a short one. Uh, an insight is literally last week, I was lucky enough to see kind of a glimpse into your data collection, Ali, and it was immense. Like it, mm. you just had all the data there and there was nothing missing. So I just wanted to share that because, uh, yeah, because I didn't have a chance to, to chat to you after I got to see that. And it was just like, wow, but everything think, was there. But yeah. it's the most important thing, and I thank you, Harms, but the most important thing for your listeners is there'll be people here who will literally get their tails are wagging now because that's their natural tendency. They're like, oh my God, this sounds brilliant. Yeah, oh, data, 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 data. oh, yeah. They're literally foaming in the mouth over it. And then you've got the other group who are like, I don't understand Excel. I'm no good with spreadsheets. Numbers scare me. And, I, and then there's obviously people in the middle. It's important for your listeners to understand that I got a C at math at GCSE. I am not naturally numbers orientated, but I sat there and went, What's the area within this pursuit that I'm disowning? It's like saying I keep pulling my hamstring as a runner, but I'm doing nothing to um, strengthen it or make it more flexible or whatever you would need mm -hmm. to do. Mm -hmm. It's like you wouldn't do that. You go, there's a problem in my approach. I need to solve that problem. So for me, it was about saying I'm too busy being in the market, changing my approach. I need to be able to look at the data. So what is actually happening to my trades? And I said, this is something we're world-class in because you can't coach people for 20 years and just keep telling them to place trades here and there. I, and I want people to be able to 
to manage as traders without me. It's no, it's no, it's it's too much stress for me knowing I've got 200, 300 traders all waiting on my my call. And my call might be slightly different on that particular trade than somebody else's. So mm. I want them to be able to be able to collect the right data so that they can analyze their own trades and their own performance at a certain point. It's the old adage of being able to, you know, fish rather than fish yourself rather than True. You know, have me yeah. do it for them. Uh, you know, as you're talking, actually, so I've written, you know me, I'm a scribbler. I'm trying to connect dots together from things that you're saying. So you talked earlier on about the importance of recency bias. Yes. And, but equally, and I agree with you because it hasn't been taught and it isn't taught out. There is like everyone talks about log your trades and you talk about this data. I wrote down data equals performance. Is that is that that's a measure really of your performance? Would that be Absolutely. fair to say? So Absolutely. then I so then I think so just to add to that and maybe you can elaborate. So then I'm thinking if you think about it, if people are afraid to face their performance, but if they've recently done okay, they're going to gravitate to what they've done recently instead of looking at their overall performance. So actually looking at data to see their overall performance may show they're actually not doing so well. But if they look at a trade they did yesterday that was good, they're just going to keep running with that that strategy, which might actually be the wrong strategy overall long-term. They're just It's like an immediate what's in front of me, let me react to that as opposed to an overall assessment of the data of how I've been performing. You couldn't, you couldn't be more correct. And to, to elaborate on that, when you say data is performance, is um, a, lot of pe- a lot of people come to me and say, the strategy I trade doesn't work. I'm like, really? Okay, show me the last two years of performance <laughs> of that strategy. And nobody's ever gone, uh, one second, Ali, I'll just grab it for you. <laughs> they all look at me and go, what? Right? And then I turn around and say, so is true. it the strategy that doesn't work? Or is yeah. it your ability to deliver on the strategy? Mm-hmm. So all of my mm-hmm. traders that I work with closely guys on the guys that, that study that, that foundation, they get it. But the guys I work really closely with, they know that there's no point coming to me saying something like that, or a strategy's not working or, Oh, I think I'm getting this wrong or I'm feeling really unconfident today. I'm like all of those things in a, in the, in a short term are true, just like the positives. So what keeps a trader in what we call a break even cycle is that recency bias. Oh, I've had five winners, but you've had five winners You've risked one percent. You've you've had five winners at one percent, and then you have three losers that are twice as the losers are twice as big as the the winners. But then what happens is you sweep those losers under the carpet because your recency bias is like, I know they weren't great trades. I know I screwed them up. I'm going to sweep them under the carpet, and we'll start again on Monday. Mm, we'll right, start right. again on the first of the month. Right. But in the same breath, let's say I've got a trader who comes in, and they're trading a similar strategy to me, which over a hundred trades is going to have forty losers. Well, I want to know over the years, what are those f- average 40 losers a year look like? Does that look like 10 lots of two losers in a row? Or does that look like on average six losers in a row and then mm. three lots of three? So somebody can come in and they can do everything right, follow my strategy, and my system to a T and their first four trades could lose. Mm. So what's the quickest way for that trader to get out of recency bias? is pull up the spreadsheet of eight years of performance of that strategy external Mm -hmm. to them and see that four losing trades on average happens three times a year, every year for the last eight years. Suddenly that takes it, makes it about the performance of the strategy row. So you said data is performance. It's getting them to get themselves out. It helps traders get out of the way because then they can evaluate the four trades based on pillar one. So did they follow the system? Mm. And then if they follow that system, and they were four losers. Well, what happens to the trader's mindset? Well, I did everything right, and it hasn't bloody worked. Mm. Oh, yeah, but it's meant to have four. So when you when you start thinking, oh, that strategy's meant to have four losers in a row, rather than I can't believe it's had four losers in a row, 
Then you've shifted your yourself. Imagine this on a more detailed level. I know that 78% of my winning trades go into a losing position before they win. Well, you've, you've traded, you know, loads of traders out there. Panic. You just panic as the trade loses. <laughs> Whereas I expect my trade to yeah. go against me. Yeah. So imagine how, from a mindset point of view, I'm already ahead of the game because yeah. I'm expecting my trade to go against me. Whereas the guy who's never learned to do it properly is like, shit, shit, my trade's losing. It's like and somebody the- driving a car going into a skid. If they know how to counter steer, exactly. they hang with it just enough, then it bites and then the car rectifies itself. But others will panic and lock the brake on and, and keep it going. And, um, and you can achieve all that because you have the data. Yeah. That's my takeaway. So just one, yes. one point here for anyone listening, and Ali threw it in there, and it might have confused you if, you if you're not used to this. You can go back. So if you've got a strategy you're working with, say Ali's got a strategy he's working with you, there are ways to go back and look at the performance of that strategy, even if you've only traded for yourself. Hmm. So imagine, technically, you can do that through systems. Imagine buying a company. You're, you're about to buy a company, and you want you're gonna you're just gonna go yeah all right I'll pay I'll pay two million quid for it or you know two hundred grand for it you're gonna go back and look at the performance of that company mm. to know that what the guy's asking for that company is mm. is a legit amount so it's yeah. it's the same way you you trade from day one now that doesn't mean you might look at the performance of that company that doesn't mean you can automatically deliver the same result but you're gonna look back at that performance over the you're gonna look at the accounts for say the last five years. Yeah. to make sure the evaluation is fair and that if it's worth you buying it. Right. And that's one of the things I say to my students, which we'll get to, when we get to mindset, This you'll see how these four pillars link up. But there's no point a trader coming in and saying, I want 200% return a year because that's their financial freedom figure. Yet the strategy that they're looking at performs brilliantly, but it only does 50% a year. Right, right. So that trade is going to feel like they're going to behave. They're more likely to break their rules. They're more likely to get frustrated. Yet the strategy is a brilliant strategy. It doesn't fit what they want. Yeah. So and this it. is why there isn't a one size fits all in terms of trading strategies or trading performance. Because I work with people in their 50s row that just want to top up their pension. So yeah, yeah. for them, consistently delivering 30% a year is fine. But then I might, to use the to use the kind of stereotype, I might be working with a 25-year-old guy or girl that wants to be doing this full time in five years. Mm. So their 30% a year to them is no way near what they need. Right. So if there's, if they know the capacity of these strategies in the past, that gives them a better chance of being able to deliver on whatever comes in the future. And there's no guarantee, but just like there isn't in business. So mm. people say to me, oh, testing strategies in the past doesn't, doesn't tell you what's going to happen in the future. No, but it does a darn sight more than going into it completely blind. blind. Yeah. yeah. So, so, that, so the technical analysis is the first leg. Data analysis is the second leg. What's the third leg? Risk management. Risk management. So essentially, yeah. this is the one that gets everybody's ears, <laughs> ears quick. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, so think of it, uh, Harms touched on it where he's, he talked about poker going all in. So most traders, most traders at some point, uh, the guys that have traded before, will, um, the girls who are listening to this will, will probably agree at some point they have either risked too little or too, usually too much on one individual trade. So the way I explain this to people is imagine you've got a, a bag of gold coins we think we talked about this previously. So you've got a bag of gold coins. There's 100 gold coins in your bag. Each one of those coins represents 1% of your trading pot. Most traders are either risking too much of that pot on one trade. So they might risk five gold coins on one trade. They risk 5% of their pot. Or they're varying their risk based on what they think may happen. 
or what's happened as a result of their previous trades. The classic being a trader's had five winners. So on the sixth trade, they risk three times more and they think they're being they think they're being conservative because what they're saying to themselves is, well, I've just had five winners, so I'm only playing with profit. Or vice versa, a trader's had two or three losing trades and they want to quickly make those losing trades up. So then on the fourth trade, they mm. risk twice as much or three times as much. So essentially, without without going into the exact formula, it's applying a consistent risk management process to what you do. But knocking knocking on the door is recency bias again. It just exactly. keeps coming. It keeps coming. Yeah. yeah. Can see how important oh. that is. Oh, sorry, knocking on the table. I should knocking, say. Knocking, I'm knocking on the table. <laughs> Fuck that. That just keeps coming back into the line of sight, which is amazing because Ali's brought it to the forefront of all all his students, and he's saying this is the let's let's build a system around avoiding this. By the way, recency bias comes into relationships. That's, oh. We won't even go into that conversation, but <laughs> the number of people I work with over the years that you know the current partner is diametrically opposite to the one that was abusive or too soft or wasn't you know loving enough, and so they go looking for the opposite to that. Oh, oh my god! Well, mate, when just... I when I met you, my partner at the time was literally. The, uh, the you know like it was a 180 compared to right the, i remember the, yeah. it was like you you went from the the nice um calm yeah. steady lovely yeah. family orientated brunette to the fiery yeah. redhead business i mean literally i did a complete a complete yeah. 180 as a relationship and 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 as as somebody who coaches people through the arm of trading you see you see this happen i see it happen in my own life and Part of the reason I have this system is because just because I've been trading 20 years doesn't mean I'm immune from recency no. bias. Yeah. I might have strengthened the muscle more than somebody who's done it for three months, but I still, I had a trade recently that, um, that I, I followed my system, but for whatever reason, the result played on my mind more. I know logically that losing trades are just part of the system. Mm. That could have been because um, I had other things going on or or for whatever reason that trade played on my mind. So that system's there not just for my students, but it's there for me. It's not something I teach and don't do because I know recency bias has affected me in multiple areas of my life, but still affects me after 20 years. And I think one of these things as we go into pillar four, it's quite a nice segue, which is mindset. Yes, yeah. the overriding thing we're trying to avoid is this is succumbing to recency bias, but it's also the acceptance and the overriding thing with pillar four and mindset is as traders, we are not we are not biologically geared up to trade. It's about the it's probably the worst thing we could be doing as humans based on our natural biology, which is to, you know, avoid pain, seek pleasure, is to deal with what is happening to us in the moment. Um, you know the saber-toothed tiger mindset of yeah. you know, you, 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 your your brain right is wired to avoid avoid yeah. pain or look for pain or hunt pain down. So recency bias is is kind of built into us, and also we, especially the younger generation, are almost flexing the recency bias muscle or training the recency bias muscle by ordering something on Amazon and it turning. Out, I literally ordered a new desk lamp <sighs> yesterday night at seven thirty, and it's due here in the next hour. And I didn't, I didn't go, wow, fuck me. That's amazing. I just went, oh, okay. So that is now the new norm to order something online and expect it to turn up. My True. daughter doesn't, has never waited for a TV program. And she said to me, well, you used to, well, yeah, yeah. We used to sit around on a Sunday and <laughs> watch, or watch a program at a certain time. She looked at me like, how old are you? I know, so I know. if we're stimulating and training recency bias from the point of view of being impatient and being able to get what we want, we want that book. We get it now. We order that thing. Mm. It turns up in 24 hours. 
The challenge with trading is you can make, I can make, like I said, I can make a month's money in a week. I can have one trade that may, on average, that strategy takes five to six days for that trade to transpire or be a winner or a loser. And a bit of news comes out and it hits my target within 20 minutes. So I've suddenly made 2% return or 4%, 5% return. I made, last month I had one trade that made a 6% return in four days. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're somebody from an older generation and you're used to getting 2%, 3% in the bank, that can actually throw you the other way. It can almost send you into shock. I can't believe I've made that percentage return in a short period of time. But as the younger generation, if that becomes the norm and that's stimulated with all this get stuff now, get stuff now, that's not going to be every trade. You're going to have to have the trade the following week that you sit through for a month. Right, going up, down, left, right, and center because the market is the same but always different, and it's different and always the same. Yeah, you, and, and this is where the and if you think that links back to data, so if I know that the average time I'm going to be in a trade is six days, six trading days, but I know there are outliers within that average that some trades are thirty six days, then I I'm in a trade for thirty six days. I don't start questioning it. I don't jump out of it. The amount of traders that I've worked with with experience that say, well, after a week, what do you do with your trade? nothing i stay with it they seem to think well i've been in it a week now there's something i need to do so to the to the the person who's never traded before if you can accept early on that you are flawed from a performance point of view and a mindset point of view as a trader you'll actually get over these learning humps more quickly because you'll have that acceptance that i'm not going to be this indestructible human with no emotions and i don't want to be but as a trader i've got to work at ways to be to, to keep those keep and being aware of what those flaws are mm. as opposed to seeing them as a weakness just seeing them as something you just have to make sure you're strengthening and keeping an eye on and, and monitoring because i mean as you've said already you could wake up in the morning and there's been a death in the family or you know the relationship at home is not going well or whatever any number of things and i mean that might even be a conversation i'm sure you have with certain people do you i mean i remember for years struggling with the concept of just sitting on your hands that the concept of just sitting on your hands and doing nothing and, and and i find that really hard but if if mentally upstairs something's not right or the market's very volatile but you're one of those people that instinctively just wants to get on and trade the concept of sitting on your hands is really difficult isn't it for, for yes, people in very, and, it, and again and that and what i try and do is bridge the gap between the cute phrase on instagram that says you make your money in the sitting not in the not in the trading which is true yeah but my brain and other traders come to me because they go, that's all well and good, Ali, but how do I do that? Well, <laughs> yeah. you've got to examine whether or not you, if, if you're asking me that question, the chances are, which is the another area within mindset. So mindset, we have recency bias, yep. which is the first one. Um, um, we have hindsight bias, which, which just causes traders a whole world of pain. And then the third is personality styles. So yep. you know the personality style model yep. system. There's lots of different ones. But it's this idea that certain traders will be prone to overtrading based on their personality and certain traders will be prone to undertrading. Now, I, one of the reasons I put this model together is there's a big thing that used to go around as you see trading educators talk about, which is, are you a fear trader or a greed based trader? And I'm like, it's, it's bollocks because I've been both. And every trader I speak to at some point has placed trades out of fear and some has placed trades out of greed. Now, you will have a tendency to one or the other. I tend I tend to go towards a greed-based trader, but I'm also a fear-based trader. Now, if I've got recency bias and I've been fearful this week, I'm going to see myself as a fear-based trader, not a greed-based trader. So understanding if you are a more left-quadrant personality style, 
that you're prone, you're going to be prone to over trading over the longer term. It doesn't mean you won't be prone to under trading depending on what the market's doing. If you're right based, so you're more analytical, more amiable, you're going to be prone to under trading. So when extreme mm-hmm. events happen, yeah, yeah. So let's say you've talked, we've talked about these five trade losing run, your five trade winning run. Let's tie this all together. So if you're prone to recency bias and recency bias is a natural thing and you're not aware of it, and you're a driver based personality that loves to win and hates to lose, right? If you've had three, if you've had five winners, you're going to be more internally motivated as well, which mm-hmm. means you're going to think that the winners were more down to you. You're far more likely to either over trade or over leverage, which is risking too much mm-hmm. on that four, that sixth trade. If you've had five winners, mm-hmm. if you've had five losers, and you're again prone to overtrading, you're far more likely to place the sixth or over leverage on the sixth because you want to get your money back. Whereas the analytical le- right-sided quadrant, if they've had five winners, mm. they're far more likely to want the sixth but over-optimize their data to get it. Or if they've had five losers, they're far more likely to go back to their data and ask the question, what's wrong? Because analyticals love to be right but hate to be wrong. So mm. That's just one example of how you've got this recipe of a recency bias, hindsight bias, which is looking at something that has happened and thinking as a result of that, you know, you, you, you could you could have predicted it, combined personality styles. So and then if you think all of that will then link to how you then place the next trade. So if you're somebody that um, is prone to overtrading, you're more driver personality based and you've had five losers, that sixth trade may not have actually met your strategy criteria pillar one. But the reason you traded it is you thought it met the criteria because you've got that overtrading tendency. Yeah. And then if you log that on your data, you'll start to see that there are certain trades in certain situations that you place that you shouldn't. So the data then shows you this. And then you can go, ah, I tend to ignore price levels at a certain time based on the result I've had. And I know this because I've sat and I've got four people to analyze a chart and they see it completely differently. Mm. Or look at a pertain. I had a guy once, I remember this guy, Stuart, he came in, he goes, guys, 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 did you take the trade at 210? And everybody in the trading room went, what trade? And he just wrote, oh, shit. And then he looked back with the benefit of hindsight and realized there was no trade based on his strategy there. And then we examined it and we realized, well, he'd been on a losing streak all week. So he had what we call chart blur, where he was seeing what he wanted to see, which is the same as you. <laughs> Where's the salt? Where's the salt? I can't see the salt. You look yeah. in the cupboard. I can't see it. I can't see it. And then your partner comes in and goes, look, it's there. It's there. You idiot. Yeah. 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 So all of these things tie in. And then if that trader is really wanting to get his money back, well, what's he going to do? Not only place the sixth trade, what wasn't actually there, but risk two times, three times what he should on that trade. Yeah. So again, the listeners who've never traded before, you might be thinking, God, this is a lot here. But we work through this in a very systematic way when you learn it. And it doesn't mean you have to have traded to understand how you will perform in the market. You only really know once you've traded, but somebody who's never traded before, if they understand recency bias, hindsight bias, and what their major personality style is, it's not that everyone is one personality style, but if they've got an awareness of that before they even press the button, they're way ahead of 90% of the people out there. Just just on that note, so one, two things I want to just touch on very briefly. The first one is data. People listening to this might be thinking, oh, it's just a capture of numbers without seeing the full extent of what you're talking about here, but knowing how you know you operate that that data is also what were you feeling? What was the decision process behind this trade so that you can also define leg three and four, which is the mindset and the risk, correct? 
into so that if data. You, if your listeners to, um, were to imagine a spreadsheet, you've got you've got what I call the nuts and bolts, which is the trade number, the market, the strategy, the time, the number of days in the trade. Was it a winner? Was it a loser? Did, what was your what we talked about with with risk management, which yeah. is not just and um, what did you risk in terms of a percentage? If you risk one percent, what did you make? You might have made four percent on that one trade. Right. So your next four losers are covered. But then you start to get into other data is well, how far did that trade run on past your target? Because mm-hmm. something that kills traders is getting out for a two percent win and coming back three days later and seeing the trades run on to six percent. Mm-hmm. And then the hindsight bias kicks in, which is I should have stayed in it. And then take it even further, mm-hmm. we get our traders to assess the trade. Talk. I even get traders, especially day traders, to journal and um, give rate where their relationship is. All of these things relate what their home yeah. life is, is their yeah. environment right? And they have what we call a performance. So we have a performance score for our day traders. So they have to give themselves a score out of six. So they, it, it's environment, it's family, it's all these things. And they have to score that because over time, there is a correlation between what is going on externally. And then I just get people to do a self-critique. So they will evaluate that trade based on the four pillars. So you're right. It's not just simply a set of numbers. And I had a guy, Don, Mm. a great guy, but he came up with his own coding system for the trade. And one of them was WTF. And and that was his, when he placed the trade and he knew, like, in hindsight, what was I doing based on that trade? But I went with it as a coach because I would rather he created his own little evaluation system. Emotionally connected to it as well, yeah. do it than... Then not do it. Static system, then not do it, and it's actually it, yeah. made a difference because he yeah. said, "When I saw too many WTFs on the sheet, Ali, I knew that I was kidding myself." Right. And for some traders, it's simply that. I worked with a guy years ago, and we looked at his trading, and basically, eighty percent of his losing trades is a day trader in the afternoon. So all I said to him was, "Stop trading in the afternoon." Mm. Right. But right. it took him. It took him putting it on a data sheet. Yeah. sending it to me and somebody else seeing it. And as you seeing know, Rose, somebody who yeah. coaches, sometimes the, the, the value is not something, it's not something that's said for two hours. Mm-hmm. It can be one line that shifts right. that person two degrees and three so years true. later in a different place. So, so true. Um, well, okay. So on that note, then the other thing I just want to tackle briefly, because I know we need to round up and try and give some people some steps forward is those of you listening thinking, oh shit, so I'm going to have to have money in the account and go through the whole system, the four legs and be trading. There is a way of using demo accounts. Can we just talk about that very briefly to reassure the newbies thinking they have to have capital to start with to get in the system? Yeah. So it's a little bit like, um, um, the whole, the, if you look at it from two perspectives, you've got to, you've got to be able to look at a chart and a chart is simply the price movement of a particular market. That market could have gone up, that market could have gone down. Mm-hmm. So not only can you access charts for free, mm-hmm. um, you can go, it allows you to go through the analysis process for free. It's a little bit like the way I phrase it is, um, imagine you've got to catch a train from a train station you've never used before. You can walk to the train station for free you can walk into the train station for free. Mm. You can look at the departure board to work out which platform the train is leaving for free. The only thing you pay for is the ticket to get on the train. Mm. So you can do every bit other than get on the train for free. And it's the same mm. when it comes to learning to trade. You can analyze the charts. A demo mm. account is simply, imagine having a bank account that did absolutely everything that your online banking does. Mm. The only difference was the figures in the bank account are made up. They're not real money. So mm. what that allows you to do is to experience every element of the trading process without actually putting any of your own money on the line. 
So if I want to get on a train track and go to Manchester and you ran the railway station, you might say to me, well, look, a full ticket is 50 quid, but you can go free for the first 20 minutes on the train and get off at the next station and see what it feels like. That's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah. So you can do every element of the process, every element of the process for free. So for me... I'm I'm very big on traders, especially traders who, who might be little potential traders listening to this who've never had any experience. Um, and one of the biggest, biggest challenges new traders have in their mind is the idea of actually physically placing a trade, because mm. that's the bit that feels mm-hmm. alien. But the, the example I give is most people have paid for something online. Now, the transactional element of placing a trade is like filling right. out a credit card form and pressing buy to buy yeah, yeah, yeah. your daughter's present that once you've done it a few times it's fine but ironically it's the area that creates the most fear in people because it's the um it's the bit that's most unknown mm. well you get over that with a demo account so mm. i get my traders to practice all of the different trades mm. get used to all of the terminology a bit like pretending to buy five or six different things online mm. so you've gone through the process you know how it works so the sixth time you can do it because mm. the challenge with demo accounts is I've met too many demo demo trading millionaires that have mm. got a very good performance on a demo account, but they can't deliver it on real money. So yeah. for me, you've highlighted a great point there, Ro, is that demo accounts are there for you to be able to physically go through the process mm. and get competent at the process. But as soon as you can, you want to move away from a demo account and you want to move on to a real account because you really don't understand how you will behave, especially in the mindset quadrant, until real money is involved. It doesn't have to be large sums of money, but that's the key. So move, use a demo account to become competent in the process, but don't sit there for too long. And another thing traders will do as well is they'll say, well, I'm only going to, I'm going to demo trade until I've made 20%. And the challenge with that is you could simply be trading a strategy that's underperforming at that point. Yeah. So as soon as, once competence reaches a certain point, then get onto, get onto a real account. And I guess the the closer they get to logging that data and really authentically mapping out, if I'd really traded this, what was I feeling? Not hiding anything. Mm. That's going to get you close from closer to when you press the trigger on the real trades. And the amount of data that you log is proportionate to the type of trading you're doing. So if you want to be Mm. somebody that's sitting in front of the screen all day, so you want to be, you want to be a day trader. It's essentially your full-time job. You're going to have to do more testing of that Mm. strategy Mm -hmm. because you're under more pressure you're going to be trading more quickly your pattern recognition needs to be better but the guys i work with who want to do this alongside their job so the swing traders Mm. we've already got nine years of live data and 20 years worth of back tested data Mm. now i don't say to those guys i want you to go and do 20 years worth of testing before you ever trade this strategy start trading it now because you might only place three trades this week but spend other time reviewing the data that we've got and building up your own data as you go so again the amount of data that you have and the amount of time you spend collating that data on previous trades is dependent on the type of trader you're going to be and the nice thing is is again we walk our talk we don't have a single strategy that doesn't have at least at least five years worth of testing data behind it and all of our live trades are recorded good bad and ugly because i want the traders to see for me one of the biggest things that students that come on board with us say is i see you trade through a five trade losing run and i see you come out the other side and i see the data and i see how you frame that process in your mind Mm -hmm. so i have all that data if those if is accessible to those to those students at that level because they need to be able to 
dive into it. And I always get them. I say, go and dive into that data, whether you're used to spreadsheets or not, go and see how it works. It's no different than buying a business. It's no different than looking at something new. So as a, as a youngster listening to this, one of the takeaways I've got is another analogy to add to the mix is it's like deciding to play FIFA, the the Xbox PlayStation version of playing football versus you then going to actually physically play football for a football club. Now that's the difference between a demo and trying it and kind of being in the game version of this to actually then physically going to play. And then off the back of that, because you're playing for a proper football team, you've got a coach and the coach can look at exactly what you're doing and say, oh, don't worry, this is a challenge that all players have faced, but I've got a lot of knowledge in this area, you know, five, seven years or so. That's kind of my take on this. I I want the youngsters uh, just to have a... Another yeah. example of this, because I think, you know, gaming is a great analogy for yeah, I people in their twenties. There's gaming's a brilliant one. And, and, and actually I was only, I was only last week I was talking about this is um, with gaming. If uh, you could, you could almost kind of find a, a middle point is imagine how your emotions would shift if you were playing FIFA and you were staking a result on how you, how you played. So you could say, yeah. So once you're playing real football, the stakes are high. It's real. It exists. There's a coach. There's all of these things, but there's even people that are at a gaming level that that treat gaming in a very different way than they used to. It's a it's almost a professional pursuit, and they esports. Yeah, I just saw things where you can get all these performance supplements for gamers. So you know, it's that there's even there's an element of gaming that is treated at a level of professionalism that some of the people that operate in my trading arena don't you know and that's why they come and get coaching them for, for some of these guys i'm like you've just got to examine how you're approaching this you're 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 analyzing your charts whilst there's a tv program in the background and your kids are running around and you wonder why you're missing stuff so it's that it's it's it would be treating that that fifa as if it was a real scenario that had a, an impact other than just the, the computer game saying game over Absolutely. and i think that's i think that's something that the younger guys can get is demo trading gives you that ability to have the game over and nothing nothing is lost other than your ego but once once money's involved the emotion the emotion changes and what can keep traders demo trading is that they they feel emotion because some people want to be right some people no one wants to be wrong everyone wants to be right so sometimes they'll go oh but i feel the emotion when i'm demo trading i'm like but it's not the same as real money and i think this is something that partly with the fund and why um with my traders in the room. Yes, sometimes I'll show them my trading account because I'm trading with multiple six-figure accounts. Now, I might make, someone like, oh, you only made 3% this month. Yeah, but I made it on a quarter of a million quid. 3% on a quarter of a million quid is a different ball game than making 10% on a thousand. Both are great, but they're a different mindset involved. So I've one of my best traders uh, who ended up tra- doing some training for us, Kerry, Kerry will do... She's at one point, I think she was averaging the best part of 45, 50% return a month over a six month period. Mm. But she was very open about the fact that it was on a five grand account because she felt more comfortable mm. trading a smaller amount of money right. but at a higher risk. So she found her niche. Whereas she, at the thought of trading a quarter of a million quid in one account, she said, I, I couldn't do it. It, it. It's not it's not my thing. So that's the other thing that we do at a more advanced level is we make sure that the tra- traders really get in touch with the best way to trade for them because there isn't one way to do this. Yes, this, there's these four pillars which underpin any trader of any discipline, any size of account, any goal. But when you go further up, it's no different than a recipe. Ro, me and you could have a recipe. 
you could do it perfectly and make this beautiful meal. I could have the same recipe and screw it up. You still need those same ingredients, but if you yeah. want to take it to the the Gordon Ramsay level or the, the the top flight level, there are those things that happen that happen at a you know a more acute level. So having that awareness is really important. So for you, Harms, you you might a lot of traders get into it, and I go, they go, I go, why are you doing this? And they go, I want to make loads of money. I'm like, but what do you want? I know that I want I want fifty percent return a year on my swing trading account now. Mm. To some traders, especially guys who've dabbled in crypto, they're like 50%. I'm like, yeah, but I want that year in, year out, regardless of what's going on in the economy, regardless of what's going on globally, financially, regardless of whether I've jumped on and got lucky on basically a hockey stick effect that we've seen on cryptos. So the challenge that a lot of people have faced if they've dabbled in cryptos is they may have got in and made three, 400% in a couple of months, and they think that's the norm, and it's not. So when you talk about 50%, they're like, what? I've just done 400%. I don't, but did you follow a system? Can you replicate that? Have you got the data to back it up? And have you got the mindset to be able to do it? Mm-hmm. So whereas Kerry, she'd be like, well, 50%, no good for me. I want to be doing three, 400% a year, but I'm going to do it on a smaller account, extract right. the money, because that makes me feel that's mm-hmm. the way I want to trade. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's, the, uh, so that's, that's a the, really, that's a really, really interesting to hear you say that because it's definitely not something you hear a lot of people talk about out yeah. in the industry at all. And I think, you know, for anyone listening, hopefully they're getting excited and my brain is like, okay, so I'm just going to recap. We've got table, uh, leg one is technical analysis. Yep. Two, two is data analysis. Three is risk assessment, risk management. Four is mindset. Somebody listening to this right now, uh, who's either new, let's start with the newbies. What would be the first, what would be your sort of two or three key steps in sort of taking them beyond the podcast? Because I think Harms wants to talk to people about where, how do they get hold of you in a minute? And actually, Ali, you can include this in there because if this is a relevant okay, step to okay. them, I think Ali can. All right. Okay. If they want to include that in the yeah, steps. And I'll well. make sure I put it But in equally, I'm just thinking, Ali, you know, what about people that are already trading? What would be a few things for them to consider, whether it's incorporated in the system or something completely outside of that? Good. I think if it's somebody new, and again, yes, you can come and see me. There are other good educators out there. There are a lot of other ones that aren't good. Assess whether the trader or the person who is is talking about that is covering all of these bases. So if you were saying, look, I want to learn how to do this. I want to do a course. I want to do a program. Yeah. Well, are you going to get access to the, the process that they use to analyze the market. Not because that's the only process out there, but you mm-hmm. need one. Are you going to get to see the data or know that the strategies that they're going to teach you have data backing them up? Mm-hmm. What's their risk management profile? Um, and I think within risk management, what you want to be able to see is live trades. I think that's really important. Um, even if you're not seeing every single live trade they'd ever placed, but you, you have some ability to be able to see that mm-hmm. when they're teaching you something. So for instance, on the kickstart program where I basically, I don't teach these four pillars. I teach them, the student applies them, they get feedback from me and then they go and reapply them. Right. So learning these four pillars is not an intellectual pursuit. It's like, it's like doing, it's like, let's say you got to, let's say you want to stack on muscle. You've got to eat a certain amount of protein. Now somebody might know they need to eat two times, two times their body weight, whatever the protein formula is. But knowing it and doing it are two completely different things. Mm, You've got to take your muscles to overload. You've got to get enough sleep. And let's say there's one other critical factor. You've got to hydrate your body. Mm. So essentially, you can know all that and not do it. So to me, the most important thing is they've got to learn it, apply it, so you can see which areas you're stronger in and see which areas you're weaker in. 
And then you've got to get some feedback from me, from somebody who can actually knows the system and understands it. So there's the shortcut. Hmm. The shortcut is not learning from me. The shortcut is getting feedback on what you've done from me to speed the process up hmm. and then reapply it with that new knowledge. That's like the trainer coming over to you in the gym and saying, you need to create full range of motion on your leg extension because you're right. not giving, you're not putting your your muscle under or you're only you need to do 12 reps instead of 10 i don't know mm -hmm. but it's that moment where that trainer steps Inst in instant they, feedback something in to work on immediately yeah. yeah so i think the most important thing for new people is not to be scared with the amount of stuff that i've covered because for them they might be thinking this shit there's a lot here yeah right and just think i was related to driving if you actually broke driving down into its individual component parts with no previous frame of reference which you don't mm -hmm. have because you've never traded before you would literally not get in a car and drive the mm, only true. reason you drive is you've been around cars all your life. Family, friends, and other people have shown a competence in it. And there are 30 million cars on the road. So your brain has got a subconscious cue that this is something you can do. But if you looked at driving without all of that frame of reference, you wouldn't do it because it would seem too complicated. Mm, mm, so, so this true. is the same thing. Is you, we break down each component part. You get good at each component. And then you have the awareness to relate. So I think don't be fearful. Uh, I would be the most important thing. And anybody that you're going to learn from, whether it's me or somebody else, that they are, they're able to deliver on these three areas. Because I think there's a lot of people out there that will show you charts and show you technical, complicated systems and mechanisms and show you six trades where they supposedly made all this money. And they're showing you a, a chart that's an after an event scenario rather than what would they actually do when it's real time. So I think that's important because one of the things we do on the Kickstarter is we teach each pillar but then through that kickstart, I will show winning and losing trades from that month. Now, that might be a disastrous month from the point of view. I might be having a really bad month, mm. but I will show the system they're learning, good, bad, and ugly. Mm. Because at the end of the kickstart, I would rather work with people that understand the reality right, of this. Right. I, I don't need to teach people to pay the bills. They pay the bills. I don't need to do it, which means I can teach from a perspective of I don't really care whether you sign up or not. If you, if you think this is too difficult, well, then you're not the client for me. If you think this is, if you think this is too easy or, or you, what Ali's teaching you is rubbish, I'm going to go and learn from the guys that are driving Lambos around London. Well, go for it because yeah. I, you're not the kind of person I, with all due respect I want to work with anyway. So you have to have this little understanding that this is a skill mm. that at 20, 30% return per annum can completely change your life over a 20 year period. Forget mm. trading full time. Mm. I've got people that have literally been with me for six, seven years, and all they've done is just compound 30 to 50% a year. They are in a completely different place financially, emotionally, mm. spiritually, as a result of knowing that they've got a mechanism that's inflation-proof, everything else. And I, I work that. with people that have known nothing, literally like people listening to this podcast, who've gone on to do this full-time. Mm. So if you, I think the new guys, don't be fearful of everything I've covered here because I've thrown a lot out. Just understand that it's just a set of skills that you would learn like any other pursuit. And to be fair, um, the, the the existing traders it apply what you just said there applies to them actually. Yes, it's the same. So. It's the same message. Yeah, I would say as a as an individual trader, do one simple assessment because it's difficult. Because until you're on something like a Kickstarter right. or you're in my trading, know, it's yeah. very difficult to make it bespoke. Yeah. But ask yourself a simple question, which is which area out of those four do I tend to put too much weight on? Nice. So usually based on personality styles, a trader will put too much emphasis on the charts and technicals, hmm. or it may even be very, it's not usually the case, but they might be too obsessed with data and optimization. <laughs> so they're trying to make a perfectly good strategy that is running at a 60% win loss ratio. And hmm. it's averaging twice 
the loss on its wins. They're trying to make that a 90% win loss mm-hmm. and they're trying to make it win five times to one. So that trader is you. So they're putting too much emphasis on what we would call optimization. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be the first one is look at, look at the four pillars and go, which ones do I tend to gravitate to and which ones am I maybe avoiding? Because it's usually, this was no different than when I learned. It was, I was completely avoiding data because I was too, too hooked on being in the market and placing trades mm. because I was left quadrant, driver personality, expressive personality. So mm. what did I do? If I was losing, I overtraded. If I was bored, I overtraded. If there was anything I was behind on at the end of the week, my coach would say, where's your data, Ali? The excuses would come out mm. because that was the bit that I avoided. So for me, I had to, I had to become more analytical and look after the things I was avoiding because trading isn't like a business where your business partner can be the numbers guy or girl and you can be the the marketing person, the front man. As a trader, you've got to be good at each part of the business. Now, you might say, well, I don't want to be good at each part of the business. Well, don't be a trader then because what's great about this business is there's very little upfront cost. It's recession-proof. You can do it anywhere. Mm. And the tax benefits, if you're based in the UK, can be potentially huge. So the price you pay for that is you've got to be a good business owner in each area. You can't mm. you can't subcontract the data out to somebody else. Yes, yeah, you can okay. get automations that will speed it up, but you've got to you've got to be able to do that. So I would say, yeah, that would be the main thing is as a trader who's traded before, it, and also if you're not getting the results you want, have a word with yourself. Just go, I've been doing this six months and I'm watching YouTube video after YouTube video and I'm not getting the results I want. Something's wrong here. And it's what's hilarious is I see people that wouldn't bat an eyelid at an athlete having a coach, but would bulk at the idea of going, well, yeah, yeah. I would have a, tra- why would I have a trading coach? Oh, then none of them, tra- none of them trade that, you know, it's, it's this weird thing that goes on with people who, tr- who trade. It's like, well, I'm not having a trading coach, but it's perfectly acceptable for a, um, an Olympic athlete to have a psychologist, a coach, a nutritionist, a performance mm. coach, basically a coach in each one of those pillars. So Data true. analyst. Yeah. I've got my my personal trainer is a, is a an, a a winter Olympian, and if you saw the network that he had around him to get him to the start line of the bobsleigh, you'd be like, wow, yeah. But why wouldn't you have that same approach as a trader, especially if the approach you've got isn't giving you the result you want? Fantastic, wow. So you wrap I, up. I, well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I could carry on with Ali for another two I know, hours. I know, I know, because you've got a fascination in trading as well. I think this has been incredible listeners whether you're new experienced you've you've taken away something from here and in terms of the next steps for both new and experienced people i will put the relevant links to get you to ali's material ali himself mm. kickstart program everything discussed in this episode will be in the show notes so look out for that outside of that thank you so much ali for your time over these two parts part 1 and part mm. 2 it's been incredible insight into trading and this episode because its foundational element is built on systems, I think will live uh, for a very long time and be a great place for people to continue to anchor. How do I get started in trading or how do I get back on track with my trading if I'm struggling at the moment? So thank you so much, Ali. Can I ask, can I say a few words? Yes, yes go for just it. Just to wrap up. Thanks, Al. I really appreciate Pleasure. you coming on, man. Amazing. Um, there's more questions. Thank you. One of the things I'm going to throw out there at you is 
because you and I have a passion about this is money and, and people deal with money. Are you up for coming back on and tackling that subject as, as a separate subject? Because it plays so much in trading. Uh, just as a guest on another slot, would you be Absolutely. open to doing that? Funnily enough, I, I work uh, with a friend of mine who is actually out there helping people with financial difficulty. Because Fantastic. It's, some, it's something I'm very passionate about. And essentially, if you if you can't consistently manage your finances but in five to ten years time you want to be managing a hundred thousand pounds of your own account or like me multiple six-figure accounts or managing a fund forget it if you can't mm. manage your own finances because most people can't manage their own finances for an mm. emotional set of emotional reasons but they it's the it's the jordan peterson thing it's that whole you want to go and change the world but you can't even tidy your own room it's mm. this idea that it's the same with money. So I'm very, very passionate about that because well, I do that with my own clients. So yeah, absolutely. I'm more that'd be great. happy to come back and do that. Great. Well, any final words? Nope, I'm done. I think it's brilliant. Amazing. Otherwise I will keep talking with Ali. I know, I know. <laughs> right. So that's myself, Ro and Ali signing off. We shall see you on the next episode. Hello, it's Dr. Rowe here. Harms and I would like to both personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Cicado Show. And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal, on a professional level to help your life and maybe other people's lives, then please complete an important action for us which takes less than just two minutes. Please become a supporter of the podcast by going to cicado.com and as a thank you, you'll get access to exclusive supporter perks. And don't forget to simply subscribe to the show, share this product with loved ones, and we would love if you would take a moment to give us a review and let us know just how amazing this episode was. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Owen Harms signing out. We'll see you on the next episode.